Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. If you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, that's because you're either listening live and you are in the chat room or you've happened upon a pre-edit copy of the Scuba Obsessed Netcast, come back a little bit later and we will have an edited version already for you. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 322 is recorded live March 16th, 2017. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, Kevin? I am doing excellent, Darren. And how about yourself? I am doing great. And we also have a special guest tonight. We have Craig Rich from MSRA. How are you doing today, Craig? Couldn't be better. Excellent. Uh, uh, why don't you give a, a little bit of uh, background uh, Kevin. Okay. Well, tonight's special guest is uh, Craig Rich. He is the co-chair of Michigan Shipwreck Rich Association. They are the uh, large, big-name uh, wreck hunting group in the area based out of Holland. They've uh, responsible for finding a number of shipwrecks, including the uh, SS Michigan, uh, the Ackley, I believe the Hennepin. Uh, quite a few others have been involved with uh, documenting on the Thomas Hume uh you know, these are kind of the go-to people when it comes to shipwrecks in this area. Uh, we're very pleased to have you on the show tonight, Craig, and welcome. Hey, thanks. I really am happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you here. Uh, you know, it's really nice to have, you know, a, a genuine bona fide expert on shipwrecks. Uh, you know, we have different divers here and there who some of us, you know, we all know a thing or two about wrecks, but you're someone who's, you know, really been in all aspects of it as far as, you know, the, the documentation, the researching. Uh, the, the, you've been out on the hunts on the boat with David Trotter many times. I've seen that. Uh, you know, you've written a number of books on shipwrecks. Uh, you know, there's been quite a few, uh, you know, press releases with different wrecks have been found and you've always been a part of those i've seen you on tv a number of times uh being interviewed with about you know different things that msr is going on you kind of you, you definitely are you know the, the, our local expert on shipwrecks and it's a real pleasure to have you here well it's a lot of fun being here we uh we've been kind of keeping it real since about 1996 over here on the west side of uh of michigan um, and it's kind of funny how it all started. If you don't mind, I'll kind of give everybody a little background. And this is, you know, this is kind of the inside, the inside dope. Back in 1996, I heard about this group that was uh, in 96. I mean, you're talking, you know, a long time ago now, uh, about 20 years. And uh, we, uh, I found this group that was uh, working to set up an underwater preserve for southwestern Michigan. And uh, they had been meeting down in South Haven, which is about a 45-minute drive from Holland here, where I live. And I walked in the door just kind of unannounced, and 
there's this group of people sitting around the room uh, talking about stuff. I mean, shipwrecks. And I had been, for about two and a half years prior to that, I'd been taking the stuff that I'd been doing on my own and putting it up on a little old website on the free net that we used to have here in Holland. I was like customer number 24, I think, on what was called the Makatawa area free net, uh, which is pretty much gone now. I think I served, um, kind of bought up all the assets when free nets uh, lost their popularity. And I walked in the room and it was like, hey, these people are crazy like me. This is great. Because, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you walk into a room and you, you discover there's other people who have the same weird passion you do. And, you know, we worked on that project for about two, three years, got the um, preserve actually uh, designated. And we were, I think, preserve number nine. And I think now there's like 12 or whatever in Michigan. Kind of don't keep up with all of that. But uh, we, what we discovered is that uh, there just weren't that many great diving, diveable shipwrecks in sport diving depths. And the rule is that the underwater preserve is, you know, from this point north and south to this point north and south, uh, out to the 120-foot deep level. And we figured that all the shipwrecks had to be deeper than that. So uh, uh, take that fact and combine it with the fact that we were doing some pretty serious infighting at the time, um, based on the fact that uh, we thought in 2001 that we found the Chikora. And it was a great test for us because, frankly, we had a plan in place um, in writing that everybody signed to. Here's how we will handle it if we find the Chikora. And, in fact, there are books out there that still say that we found the Chikora <laughs> in 2001 because they were written that year. Uh, one of Kit Lane's books and I think Robert Meyer's book, Fire and Ice or whatever it's called. And um, so we started fighting, and, frankly, uh, we split off. Valerie and Jack and a few others and I uh, split off and formed MSRA because the other people wanted to just start diving it and be gung-ho, gonzo, you know, macho divers. And we said, you know, screw that. That's not the plan. The plan is to document it and, you know, do everything that we as MSRA do when we find a wreck now. And then later we'll release the numbers and we'll let divers dive on it and, and all of that. So that's how we got started. And that was a long time ago, now 2001. So for 16 years we've been MSRA, Michigan Shipwreck Research Association. Okay. Yeah, that's quite a story. I, I know there was some of a, a bit of a split and some friction there. I wasn't quite, you know, I've heard different details of it there. Um, you know, we're, we're just glad that, that you guys are here and you're, you know, really very active in looking for wrecks. You know, I, I've been with you guys a bit on the boat out uh, running the side scan and, you know, looking for, I think it was the Andasty last year. Uh, you know, but you know, for, for our listeners, uh, I wonder if you could kind of like just give us an idea of the process to look, locate, find a shipwreck. Can you, like, you know, from the research on forward, can you kind of give us a good layout for our listeners? Yeah, and before I do so, um, I do want to mention that the Southwest Underwater Preserve Group is still, um, you know, they're still out there. It still exists. I, I don't see a lot of activity and so on, but uh, in fact, it seems like a lot of the guys from uh, the Mud Club down there and so on are doing a lot more of the buoy setting and all of that. And then, of course, we've got a new newer preserve right uh, just north of us, from Holland um, up to north of Muskegon, and so that's the West Michigan Underwater Preserve. So, you know, it was a it was a hard time, but uh, but everybody survived and thrived and moved on. Um, 
Yeah, shipwreck uh, research, as, as anybody who's done it, you know, starts with, uh, you know, libraries and computer databases and, you know, online access to, uh, to all the various uh, information that's out there and uh, going through old newspapers and, you know, every other source you can get. Frankly, it involves a lot of driving and sitting in other people's libraries and going through these ancient uh, <laughs> these ancient microfilm machines trying to figure out what the old newspapers said because, you know, they might have got it wrong, but at least they got something. We always start there. We always look for firsthand information. And if the captain said this is where the ship sank or if the first mate uh, had a, you know, uh, any kind of bearing. I don't care if they said it was, uh, you know, 400 feet or, you know, 12.5 miles south-southwest of uh, X point on the map. Um, yeah, I mean, take that and uh, and use that. Don't uh, don't take a newspaper that was written four days later over in Buffalo because uh, they don't know what happened uh, to something in Lake Michigan. So it starts with the research, and then um, typically we uh, argue amongst ourselves a little bit, which is great. Um, Typically, we put a uh, each of us kind of puts a pin in the map, a, a figurative pin in the map, and uh, then we decide uh, what the best search grid would be. Um, and then, in our instance, I mean, Jack is the uh, the engineer, so he lays out all the points on the map so that we've got a grid in place. It's all loaded into the GPS and the side scan uh, monitor. So, I mean, we've got everything lined up ahead of time. Then it's all up to the weather and volunteers and time, and we go out and we methodically, um, and this is where everybody else falls apart. Everybody just wants to go out and dive shipwrecks. It's like, it's like the little red hen, if you know that story. Um, nobody wants to help uh, do it. Uh, in fact, in our case, I shouldn't say it. That's not fair. A lot of people want to help do it, but we're kind of closed about who we let on the boat. So, yeah, Kevin, you're, uh, you're one of the few. Uh, <laughs> and we, all right. we don't regret it. Regret it yet? So, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's the you know it's the mowing the lawn as we all call. It. I'll let you know. Uh, we go five miles in one direction, and then we go, depending on whether we're doing a, a uh, uh, you know a deep search using the uh, 50 kilohertz uh, fish, which is why we use Dave Trotter. By the way, Dave Trotter. Besides, he's good and he's a friend. But Dave Trotter has a 50 kilohertz side scan sonar. And if you know anything about side scans, I, the way I like to explain it when I'm doing talks and shows is that, you know, side scan is towed down toward the bottom and it sends out a signal off to each side. And uh, it's kind of like uh, a high-pitched or a high-frequency sonar, something around 500, even 900 these days, will uh, send out a kind of a high-pitched signal, which goes out... And, uh, you know, it's going, to, it's going to find small stuff because it's so detailed. And the 50 kilohertz fish is more like a boom than a ping. And it's going to only find big stuff. I mean, we have found some pretty small stuff with it. We always amaze ourselves at, at how good it is and how good Dave Trotter and, you know, those of us who have been working with him for, for 15, 20 years now, are how good we are at spotting things that uh, are, you know, unnatural down there that could be something. Then we go back, turn around, take a look at it if we see something, and uh, usually we mark the numbers and uh, keep going and uh, scan some more because you've only got certain number of scanning days. You've only got the equipment for so long. 
And, uh, you know, we're not talking hummingbirds here. We're really talking about running very, very deep. And the stuff we're looking for now is in 250 to 400 feet of water uh, because everything that's, you know, shallower than that has pretty much been found. And we've covered quite a bit of territory. We still have some holes to fill in here and there. And, of course, those holes are exactly where the Andaste, the Chikora, and Flight 2501 will be. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So are, are those what you're, what you're looking for at this point? I mean, uh, are those pretty high on your list, Andaste, the Chikora, and 2501? I mean, do you have targets beyond those? or? Yeah, I think, I think those are probably my top three right now. Of course, the Alpina, but that's going to be a Wisconsin discovery. We're going to hear about, you know, Jerry Geyer or Yit or somebody over there uh, popping uh, that before we do. Uh, although we're working our way in that direction. Um, <clears throat> we're, we're, we're pleased to stop halfway if we know other people are working. <laughs> Otherwise, in five years, we might be over there. Um, but as of right now, you know, we're sticking to our side of the lake, uh, everywhere from the state line all the way up to, uh, gosh, you know, we've been up surveying off of uh, Pentwater and uh, uh, Little Sobble Point. I mean, we've been we've been all the way up now, so... Um, documenting a lot of the shore wrecks up there too, because a lot of them never had names until we uh, took a look at them uh, in the last couple of years. But uh, those three, and I'd say maybe the hippocampus uh, would be a good one um, for us or uh, anybody else to go out and look for. Um, okay. Don't ask me the story because I've gotten it, um, but it's it's out there off uh, St. Joe's South Haven somewhere, and you know my personal personal desire would be to locate uh, the bodies of four young men that are inside um, the CMR3, which is still out there and has been since 1980. That's going to be a tough one, though. It's a 32-foot fiberglass, um, you know, cabin cruiser, so it's going to be hard to find. Mm -hmm. Do you you have information on where the CMR is? I mean, I I I understand that you have a a life preserver from the CMR. Uh, they came ashore at one point. Do you have a, an idea where it might be? Well, there are two life preservers that, uh, well, it's a great story. Um, they had a search right after the CMAR went down. Uh, Jack Cote, who was a local attorney who knew three of the boys, boys, I mean, they were young men in their 20s, who were on that boat out of the four. And, um, you know, if you've seen the presentation I've done on the CMAR, it's, it's part of my... Uh, shipwrecks of uh, Ottawa County program that I do. It's, uh, it's, it's just a really touching story about, you know, these guys just never made it back across the lake after uh, you know, attending a, uh, a boat show in Chicago at the uh, McCormick Place and then being hired by Bayhaven Marina, where they worked here in Holland, to bring a boat back that was going to be traded in. And um, they made Made it, uh, who knows, somewhere halfway across the lake. Um, and then there was a, a huge debris field, and over the next two weeks they found, I mean, there's a uh, storage unit here in Holland that's got all of the stuff they found. I mean, hatch covers and cushions and, you know, that life ring was in there. And there's an oar, um, a small oar probably from the lifeboat or the, the life raft that was uh, on top. And... That was all discovered within a few weeks of the uh, of the sinking back in 1980, and then I think it was 2000. Gosh, I'm mixing up my dates now. I don't have everything in front of me, but uh, um, actually, I do have my book in front of me. Hang on a second here. It's the last story in the book, but uh, the year was 
2006. Let me read it. I love this. I love the way I wrote it. So, <laughs> In January 2006, I discovered a second CMR3 life ring. However, this exciting discovery did not occur on the lake, but rather at a West Michigan antique store. The hand-painted boat name and the stamped manufacturer date on the U.S. Coast Guard tag is identical to the life ring found floating in the lake in 1980, which is still in Jack Cote's possession. Sadly, by the way, Jack passed away about a year ago. Antique shop employees provided the contact information for the man who consigned the life ring to the shop, and then I pieced together the history. A guy by the name of Clinton Beacons of Grand Haven found it on a beach in West Olive about a week after the sinking and simply hung it on the wall of his garage for 25 years. When he died, his brother sold it to the man who placed it on consignment at the antique store. If it had been reported at the time of the discovery, the life ring may have shed some light on the location of the lost vessel and the four young men. And, uh, you know, that's true. It would have helped, but uh, probably wouldn't have solved the mystery. And I have that life ring. Uh, actually, right now it's traveling with some museum uh, exhibits. It's going to be part of the uh, – it was in South Haven for a couple of years. I think it's going up to Ludington. Uh, Valerie Van Heest is working on – uh, she's an exhibit designer for museums, and she's working on the brand-new Port of Ludington Maritime Museum that's going to be opening in June. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the opening of that there. I've heard that uh, you know it's going to be a pretty extensive uh, shipwreck exhibit up there. Uh, some of my buddies already have a road trip planned for that to, to be up there shortly if they open. I'm taking a look at your website right now. Uh, I just pasted a link into the chat room, uh, which has the article on the uh, CMR3. And reading from MSRI's website, uh, Thursday, September 25th, 1980, dawned a beautiful early autumn day on the shores of Lake Michigan. Three young men from Holland, Michigan, and a fourth from Cleveland, Ohio, had spent the day attending a popular, a popular annual boat show at McCormick Place, Chicago. The three Holland men worked at Bay Haven Marina in Holland, and one of them, former U.S. Coast Guardsman Kurt Anderson, had volunteered to bring a boat back to Holland for the owner who had recently traded in at Bay Haven Marina. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole article here. But we have information on the guy, on the gentleman here, on the loss. Uh, the tr it's a real tragedy, and it's a relatively modern tragedy. I'm going to encourage our listeners to take a look at uh, michiganshipwrecks.org. Click on uh, shipwrecks, and you can go with the uh, what is it, lost shipwrecks? And there's a link on there for CMR3, which gives all gives quite a few of the details here. If you'd like to refer to any of this later on, so there you have a lot of more information on the CMR. It's a Real tragic, and I can understand your attachment to it, there, Craig. Yeah, and I've you know I had a chance to talk on the telephone with uh, Chris Anderson's brother and uh, Chris's uh, wife, uh, who's of course remarried and, and still living in Michigan. And uh, you know, there's two other local guys that were on there. I've talked to all their relatives. I've got enough information to actually probably write a book on that one. But uh, you know, that story needs to be told, and it needs to be. Uh, you know, it needs to be. In fact, I think it would make a great little movie, but uh, and certainly a, a feature presentation at our show sometime in the future. Hopefully, when we uh, when we find it, it's going to be a tough one though, because I am pretty much convinced that all four bodies of of those young men are still in the uh, up in the V berth or somewhere in that uh, in that boat. I'm convinced that it sank stern first. They had been wearing their life jackets, and as the water started. Um, coming up they might not have noticed it um until it was too late and 
that thing went stern first and they were trapped up in the V-berth and just, you know, you're wearing a life jacket. You were not going to be able to swim down and out. Yeah, it kind of looks like looking at this article, there may have been a, a design flaw or a, a, build, a build flaw in the boat regarding the vents and the pump placement and uh, led to a lawsuit of some sort. And it uh, looks like uh, some changes were made in the uh, subsequent produced models. Did they do a recall on the CMARs on the, uh, on the Trojans after this? Yeah, they sure did. They did a recall and, uh, you know, but it was too late. The recall, you know, typically a recall note is going to be sent to the owner of record. And perhaps, I mean, that's why we register cars so that, um, you know, if there's a recall message, it can get to the current owner, not just the person who bought the car off the lot. And boats are like that, too. But uh, in this case, uh, the third or fourth owner was the one who uh, was trading it in. Um, Never saw that recall notice or certainly would have either done the repair himself. It was a matter of flipping these flipping these uh, these vents in the other direction. You know, that's all it was. Okay. And did they move the bilge pumps at all? Because I understand it sounded like the uh, pumps may have been a location which could have been, they, they were not as effective as they could have been. Yeah. Um, there was some doubt about that. There's also some doubt uh, whether the uh, this boat had the second bilge pump in the right location because they did it one year, they didn't do it the next year, and this boat was built like on the shoulder of that. So we'll know when we find it, but uh, as of right now, we don't. Okay. okay. Now here's here's a familiar sound for all of you. That was me yes. opening again. Oh yeah, we, I, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have told you the brand, but we know what it was. <laughs> You're not that good, Kevin. Uh, well, actually, if you listen really carefully, you could hear the little widget releasing all the nitrogen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You all know, right. as we record, it's the eve of St. Patrick's Day, so I have to have a Guinness out here. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah, requirement. Tradition there. Um, the uh, the SS Michigan. I understand the yeah. MSRA found that. I I spoken to uh, Bob Underhill, and he was telling me that was his. That's his favorite wreck to dive. That's one he that impressed him the most. And and Bob's dove a couple of wrecks. He, he he certainly has a a large variety to choose from. To see that's his favorite. Uh, could you give? And I've I've played a really nice production on you know the find of that and the research. And uh, could you give us some a little some of the highlights and the details of the search and the finding of the SS Michigan? Yeah, sure. I think it was. Uh, you can correct me. You probably have it in front of you, but I think, I think it was '05 that we found it. Uh, maybe '06. And uh, you know we were out uh, specifically looking for it. And we always love it when we find what we're looking for. And we, we, we also like it a lot when we find stuff we're not looking for. Um, but it's my philosophy that if you cover every inch, you're going to find everything. And who cares what order you find it in? Um, but the Michigan, we actually we, we put a, a, a grid together. Um, our uh, former partner and, and good friend Ross Richardson was a big part of that, uh, helping to establish where it might be. And we all, you know, we had our usual... I think it's here. Well, I think it's here. No, you're wrong. I think it's over here. And we, but we put we put a cone-shaped um, grid together and uh, started working it. And we we uh, I think it was uh, the one year we went out and looked and looked and looked and looked and gave you know we had to stop. And the next year we went out and I think we found it on the first day or whatever because it was just you know it was right there where it should have been. Um, if we'd gone another couple hours 
the year before we probably would have would have found it okay but uh it did take a while um once we did find it you know it was 275 feet deep and um i'll never dive it i am not uh, uh i mean i have gear i have you know doubles and you know all of that uh, i just uh at the age of 62 choose not to uh dive over 200 feet that's kind of my my little rule i have a four-year-old granddaughter and I've had enough friends that uh, have been seriously injured, and uh, some of them crippled for life, and a few of them dead. And uh, so, I, you know, I choose to dive uh, in my comfort zone, and that's 200 feet. And mm-hmm. uh, so, 275 is uh, is above my ranking, as they say. Okay. Well, the, the, of course, you, you have to set your limits there, and if that's a decision you've made, then uh, no one's going to question that. I mean, the, the fact that you go to 200 is is deeper is deeper than I currently go, and that's. 200 is deeper than 95% of the divers out there are going to go. Uh, you know, I'm, I hope to do, see the SS Michigan someday. I just know that it's a marvelous wreck based upon the footage you've shown. Uh, I just pasted a link in the chat room. Again, this is from uh, MSRA's website. Uh, you go to the, the found section of shipwrecks, and they have a link to the SS Michigan. And they have some really nice pictures of it here. We've got a uh, starboard side shot of it. Uh, Looks like it's there at the pier. Uh, I'll just read your first paragraph here. Michigan Shipwreck Research Association has located the wreck of the USS Michigan in 270 feet of water off Holland, Michigan. The discovery was made while MSRA members were scanning the lake bottom with David Trotter of Canton, Michigan, who was also instrumental of, of the 2001 discovery of the H.C. Ackley of Saugatuck. Uh, again, there's a lot of more information, a lot more pictures here. I strongly encourage our uh, listeners to uh, look this up. You've got a lot of information here about this. I mean, beautiful shot of a double wheel. Um, it looks like it must be, oh, you found this fairly recently, so I'm, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of muffles there, but shots of yeah. anchors, ballards, capstans. Go ahead. There are definitely some muscles on it, but uh, no, not as bad as some others. Yeah, this is a a beautiful shipwreck, and you know, and something nice about this one here is that you know this was found uh, after the uh, the uh, ban went for, went into effect for for taking artifacts. So this is one which should be you know, very much intact. You know, yes. you should have everything there. So yeah, it's not that it doesn't happen, but it's now illegal. <laughs> so you know, there are, are people who still uh, pilfer off of wrecks, and it's it's a shame, but. Um, you know, our guys went down there. We we worked with uh, Jeff Voss of Holland and Todd White of uh, Saugatuck and uh, Bob Underhill of the Kalamazoo area to uh, do the first dive. And excuse me if I'm forgetting anybody else. I know that uh, other people like Tim Marr has been a big help to us, too, over the years. And uh, I just don't think he was there to dive on the initial um, uh, survey of the uh, of the SS Michigan. But um you know, Valerie wrote a great book about it. We put a really nice video together. I mean, it's it's outstanding. We recorded all of the exterior uh, shots out on the ice in January of, I think, 2006. In fact, it was Super Bowl Sunday. We gave up that day to go out there and, and do the filming. So all of us, some of our kids, I mean, everybody we knew we brought together to, to film this documentary we made. And uh, then we did all the interior scenes on the SS Kiwaitan when it was down in Saugatuck. And that ship, 
man, I tell you, it was colder inside that ship sitting there in the mud in Saugatuck than it was walking out on the ice. And wow. uh, <laughs> it probably about it was as bad as those guys getting stuck in the Michigan out on the lake for 40-some-odd days uh, before it sank out from under them. So we really got to live the experience that they lived. And the, the documentary is just, it's just fun. It's great. It's, it's, uh, we had a lot of fun doing it, and it's probably one of my proudest moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really encouraging our listeners to, to take a look at, at this page on this website here because we have a lot of details about the story, and it's actually a, a really cool story about uh, how the ship was caught in the ice and the attempts were made to, to free it, uh, people walking back and forth across the ice. Uh, I believe there were no fatalities on this wreck. Everyone literally walked away. Okay. Well, that's good. Good. You know, it's nice to have some shipwrecks without a tragedy involved. I mean, it was a financial tragedy, I'm sure, for someone, but at least no one lost their life on this one here. So, on the video, right? I mean, the video of the first wreck that uh, I'm going to guess Todd or Jeff or both uh, were taking video, and I know Bob Underhill was doing uh, still shots. Uh, um, you know, and the the just the stunning uh, images from inside the lantern room at the stern of that ship. Um, I, I have no clue whether all the lanterns are still there, but it looks like you could fill them with oil and, and light them up. Mm-hmm. Well, at, at that depth, I would expect things to be, be quite well preserved. I mean, you're, you're going to have temperatures, I'm guessing, in the upper 30s, uh, no more than 40 degrees, I'm sure. Uh, okay. you know, things should be very well preserved down there. Uh, but, yeah, you're, you're looking at some yeah, very brutal de- decompression getting out of there. Yeah, and the other thing is that you know the everything on the deck is flat i mean the stack went over all the upper cabins went over everything is flat down on the wreck uh, on the deck and uh you know it's you've got the the two big anchors that are still stowed in position because they weren't being used you know stuck in the ice um you've got um the capstan up in the front that uh, the guys brushed off and uh actually revealed the name says ss michigan right on it and then, uh, you know, once you go below, uh, it was empty of cargo because it was not in service at the time. It went out, ironically, to steam a path through the ice to rescue another ship. It got stuck for 40 days, and the other ship came in the night that the Michigan went out. So it was yeah, seriously a huge waste of, of time and money and energy, but what a story. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I, I kind of sense from you that you know, there's some urgency in finding these wrecks. It's not just a matter of, hey, if we don't find them, the next generation will get them. Um, you know, they've been there for 100 years, you know, they're preserved. They'll last forever there. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Well, I like to educate people when I go out and do speaking engagements. And, oh, by the way, if anybody wants me to stop into their um, – museum group, their historic society or whatever. Um, you know, Valerie and I both do this. We speak all over the state of Michigan and all around the Midwest. She much more than I. It's uh, it's almost like a full-time job for her, uh, that and her museum exhibit design business. Um, but uh, we do go out and speak. But when I do, I tell people, you know, we all hear that it's the cold, dark, you know, waters of the Great Lakes that are preserving these awesome wooden shipwrecks forever. And you know what? It's true so far. If any of these ships had sank out in the ocean, there would be literally nothing left of them today, except for the anchors, 
you know, and maybe the steel smokestack, uh, but even that would be rusted and collapsing. These ships in the Great Lakes, yeah, I mean, they are. They're pristine. They're preserved. Everybody on Facebook probably knows, you know, Becky Kagan shot and uh, some of the other people. Um, um, Heiner, I forget her name. I'm sorry. Uh, met her at Go Ships last year. Another woman yeah, who does. Jill Heiner. Jill, yes, exactly. Um, who, thank you. Who does outstanding underwater photography and videography. They are, you know, absolutely astounded by Great Lakes shipwrecks. And they are bringing all kinds of people into the Midwest to dive our wrecks, you know. And these are people from both coasts and all over the world who have never seen a well-preserved wooden shipwreck. But, and there's a big but, you know, our, our view as humans is, is very short. You know, we think about our lifetimes. And if you're 30 or 40, you're thinking, oh, well, I've lived a long, a long time. But, you know, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket and when you look at these shipwrecks, they only sank 150, maybe 180 years ago at the most, you know, from maybe the 18, you know, 20s, 30s, I don't know. But, and, and they're, they're in rough shape and they're getting worse every, every year. You can't see it every year, but you can see it by the decade. If you, if you take the long view, you're seeing the ships deteriorate and we are on a timetable. Um, I'm fond of saying that we are in the golden age of shipwreck discovery. Number one, we have the inventory. We're not getting any new inventory, thank God. Um, the last piece that was added to the inventory was the Edmund Fitzgerald. Before that, you know, the Bradley and the uh, and a couple of others. But boy, you have to go back to the 1920s to to really find the last time when you know we were getting a lot of shipwrecks out there. And these wooden schooners from the 1830s to the, you know, 1930s, maybe 1910s, uh, most likely, you know, they're beginning to settle. They're beginning to sag. They're beginning to fall apart. So we've got the inventory. It's not going to be here forever. In a hundred years, who knows? I think all the wooden shipwrecks are going to be flat on the bottom. And we've also got this unique period of time. You know, humans came in and we messed up the waters and we made them dark and we made them uh, filled with whatever we were dumping in them and we got smart in the last 50 years since the 1970s really but 60s even we've been cleaning up the water and then we had you know this unwanted uh, help from these silly little mussels that came over from the Ukraine or wherever they came from the zebras and the quaggas and they have filtered out a lot of the natural sediments in the water and so, you know, we've got clarity. So inventory and clarity. The other thing we have right now is technology. That will only get better. But when the technology gets so good that we can literally see through the water, the wooden shipwrecks aren't going to be there anymore. So, you know, the steel, yeah, for a while. The iron ships, yeah. But, you know, they're all starting to look a little rough, and they're all beginning to sag. And so we have to make hay while the sun is shining as my grandmother used to say, um, <laughs> let's get yes. as many as we can, you know. So there's a sense of urgency that we need to find as many of these shipwrecks as we can. We need to document them and we need to tell the story because the history was lost for so long. You know, I didn't learn about shipwrecks when I was in grade school, but kids are now. And it's a cool thing. 
Well, you know, I've been hearing a kind of a common theme from a lot of the folks in the shipwreck business, a lot of the different groups, and about getting the next the next generation involved. And I do admire how you, you do talk to school kids and, you know, you really get your name out there to, to try to educate the public. Do you have any any tips for our listeners? Because, yes, we do need to get the next generation involved. You know, when we go to uh, the shipwreck shows, uh, whether it be Arbled Underwater or uh, uh, Ghost Ships or your upcoming one in, uh, in Holland there, Mysteries and Histories, you know, we see an awful lot of gray hair and no hair. We need to get we need to get the young folks involved here because you know uh, you know we're not getting any any younger, and we're just not seeing enough of the next generation getting involved to replace the ones who are you know past their past their prime in it. There, do you have any suggestions for our listeners about how to get the next generation involved? Hmm. Yeah, you know it's number one. It's it's a horribly expensive sport. I mean, I'm in my garage right now recording this, and I'm looking over at uh, my bench, and it's got about $20,000 worth of gear on it, maybe. I mean, there's at least 12 tanks, I see, uh, <laughs> you know, um, doubles, I've got singles, I've got, you know, all this gear, my, you know, a good dry suit is $2,500, Um so yeah, you're not going to get a lot of 20 year olds in this in this hobby. This you know you called it a business, I call it a hobby, because um, I don't take it seriously for even a minute. Um, but yeah, it's it's an amazingly expensive thing to do. And then there's the time commitment. Everybody likes to go out diving because you can do that in you know a four hour half a day. You know you can go out at eight in the morning get out on the wreck by 9, 9.30, dive it for an hour, come back in and still be home for, you know, lunch at 1 o'clock. And, and that's what a lot of people like to do. But spending, you know, 12 days in a row driving three miles per hour, uh, no, nobody wants to do that. You know, where you're shivering at night and you're baking during the day because you're out there just constantly and you're, you know, you're peeing over the side of the boat and maybe some other things too over the side of the boat somebody is going to be sick and it's, you know, everything smells bad. And, and you know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's not a lot of fun. It's a lot of nice camaraderie and great senses of accomplishment, but uh, it's, it's hard work. And why do we do, I don't even know why we do it. You know, sometimes I listen, <laughs> oh, what the hell, <laughs> why do we, you're, do you're not really selling it real well. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that that's why you ask why or Kevin asked why, the younger generation was and that and that's part of it um and you have to catch the bug you have to either catch the history bug or you know the the i don't know i think it's the history bug i think that's the one that catches people anybody can scuba dive anybody can you know uh be out there but if you appreciate the stories that these ships tell then you can't you, you know you're captured you can't get away from it you need to tell the stories and you know kevin's got it i know i've seen it in his eyes um and if you're doing it for any other reason you know if you're doing it for glory or for whatever i mean you can't make any money i mean you even look at the the most well-known amongst us you know you look at chatterton and you look at richie kohler you know those guys got day jobs i mean richie installs windows and glass for a living you know you can't make a living at this stuff so you got to do it because of the passion and the love and the history and 
all of that. And if you're doing it for any other reason, then, you know, you're in it for the wrong reason. And it kills friendships and it creates rivalries and it, you know, because people think they own this stuff and nobody owns it. You know, it's by law, nobody owns it. I mean, everybody owns it. It's, you know, if we find a shipwreck, it belongs to, quote unquote, the people of the state of Michigan. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I have a real, you know, kind of a real different view than a lot of other people do, you know, lose the macho, lose the bravado, you know, and just, um, you know, you found a shipwreck, good thing. Now, you know, what are you going to do with it? You're going to keep it all to yourself. You're going to hog it. You're going to be bragging about it. You're going to try to, you know, take the stuff off of it. I mean, that's, that's all things that people do. And I like to think that at least MSRA tries to do things for the right reason. And, uh, you know, I made a couple of bucks on it, but, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in my garage looking at seven boxes of books that I haven't sold, uh, <laughs> you know, and I paid for all those. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, not to, not to belittle anything because it is a wonderful hobby and a wonderful sport. And the searching is just something that drives us. And we love to tell the stories. I mean, that's the, that's the best part. But uh, in reality, it's, it's just a cool hobby, and it's something fun to talk about at the bar. Well, I think it's, you know, more than that. I mean, there's, yeah, it, it is about the stories, and that's one of the things which I really do like about MSRA is you guys really do have a talent for, for telling the stories of these wrecks, and you, and you put a lot of effort into getting that, those stories out there. Um, you know, it's, and with, with the losses with these boats, you know, I know that you've got a real drive to find, you know, the, the endastity. You know, this is a ship which went, went missing with all hands, you know. And uh, you mentioned the, the, the hippocampus, which, you know, there were survivors off the hippocampus, as I recall. Uh, but it's just, it's a great big mystery what happened to these boats. Yeah, it's really not too much a matter of comforting the loved ones now because, you know, most of these went down so long ago that, you know, even the, any of their children are no longer with us. Although I guess I do recall you doing a really nice story on the Dabak and the guy whose brother went down with that. Uh, last Here's some of so, the SS women joined us at a presentation. We found a whole family whose, uh, you know, whose great-grandfather was our hero on the SS Michigan. So that was kind of cool. You were there at that event, weren't you, at the museum in Holland, the new museum? Yeah, at the pump house there, yeah, yeah. So... And uh, and I want to mention to our listeners, if any of you folks plan on going to the MSRA shows, I recommend you get there a little bit early because they always have a little more turnout than they expect. And uh, if you don't get there a good 20 minutes early, plan on standing along the wall in the back, okay? I've been there, done that, okay? So show up early for these things, guys. Uh, awesome place to visit. Um our show is no longer the same week as Tulip Time, which is a real benefit, and it's no longer the same week as uh, a couple of other events. So it's, uh, it's uh, March 25, and I'll talk about it a little bit if you don't mind. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Show- Just a little bit of a sneak peek in there, too, what we're going to see up there. Yeah, well, some people will be listening to this after uh, the show, of course, but uh, anybody listening live, anybody who picks up the podcast this week will, will be able to come. We're at the Knickerbocker Theater it's an old historic theater in downtown Holland that's now owned by Hope College. And we get together with the Joint Archives of Holland, which is housed uh, you know, in, at Hope College, and uh, put on this shipwreck show every year. This is our 19th annual shipwreck show in 2017. Next year will be the 20th. And uh, 
I I went to my first one way back. I think it was show number two in Holland when Dennis Hale was there, you know, the sole survivor. And uh, our show this year is going to feature three great presentations. Um, Number one is going to be um, uh, Fire, Wind, and Storm. It's uh, Dave Trotter talking about his recent discoveries of both the Venus and the Montezuma. Dave presented a couple weeks ago over at uh, the Great Lakes Shipwrecks Festival, but I uh, only was in the room for a few minutes because I was banning our table. and wasn't able to see it, so I'm excited to see Dave's show. Um, Then after that, we've got a program called Shipwrecks, Reality TV, and the Michigan Triangle. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have some fun with that because uh, we've been on several reality TV shows, and, you know, typically you film those things, and then they, uh, you know, in post-production, they kind of turn it all around and make you look like a fool. So we, we tend not to too much. Um, we've got a couple good examples and a couple bad examples that we're going to be showing, including this past Tuesday night. Um, we were on a program called Secrets of the Underground on the Science Channel. And you can, uh, you know, get it on demand or DVR it. And it was like, uh, hey, we're going out to discover if this really is the Thomas Hume. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, we'll, uh, you'll, you'll see it if you look at it. We're going to be playing that back. They, we got special permission from the producers because we took them out there and we, we helped them dive the Thomas Hume uh, last summer, 2016. So we're going to show that uh, and a couple of others. And then uh, our, our, real, our keynote speaker is John Jansen. John Jansen and John Scholes, his uh, diving partner, were the first to explore the, uh, uh, the Carl D. Bradley and to uh, definitively put... Uh, put to rest uh, any rumor, although, you know, they'd had some ROVs down there, but they explored the uh, stern section because the ship broke in two, took 33 men to the bottom of the lake uh, about 55, 60 years ago, and um, the incredible underwater um, video and photography that these guys did, and John's going to be there to, uh, you know, to tell us the entire tale of, of the Carl D. Bradley and then, of course, they're diving it and uh, uh, all the things they did, including swapping out the bell for a memorial bell and bringing the actual ship's bell ashore to serve as a memorial to those men who were lost. And there might be a, nice. a fourth show. We're going to maybe throw something in at the end just for fun. Cool. Very cool. Uh, I recommend our listeners, if you can make this show, uh, it's well worth the drive. Uh, it's only you know, 45 minutes out of South Haven, an hour out of the St. Joe area. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, that they have pop, you know, popcorn and treats and goodies, and it's kind of a, a family event there. Um, they keep it kind of light, you know, because it, it's about kind of a dark topic, but uh, it's certainly something which you can bring the kids to and all. Uh, it's, but again, you want to get a little, they're a little early. Um, parking can be a little challenging in downtown Holland, so you want, you want to plan for that. Uh, good. But, <laughs> that's a good problem. We love it in downtown Holland. You know, we have we have heated streets and heated sidewalks, and uh, so there's never any chance you're going to slip or anything. We have bars and pubs, and the Kura Irish Pub is right across the street from our venue, and right next door to our venue is our brewing company, and a door down from that is the New Holland Brewing Company, and it's just, you know, pubs and, and restaurants and just a lot of fun. It's a great place to be on a Saturday night in the at the end of March. So it's it's going to be a really good time. And, uh, you know, parking isn't too bad. There's a parking ramp about a block away, so that's easy. Otherwise, uh, just keep driving around the block. Somebody will be backing out, and you can, you can grab their spot. 
Yep. I just recommend getting there a little early, though. It's uh, definitely <laughs> something that you want to, you know, especially if you want to get a good seat and everything, because they will sell out. I mean, yeah, uh, I get a real seat. If, uh, if you want to join Michigan Shipwreck Research Association, um, we'll give you, number one, we'll give you a free ticket to the show, and uh, members get to sit uh, right up in the front with our dive team. So that's kind of a cool place to be. And, uh, you know, go to our, our, our website at michiganshipwrecks.org. I will warn you now that if you type that into Google and search, you'll get, uh, uh, like we were hacked about six months ago, and Google's still serving up the cache of, of, uh, of the hack site. So you know, leave, leave it to Google to screw things up. But uh, type it right into your, your browser. Or you can go to our Eventbrite page. Just go to Eventbrite and search for Michigan Shipwreck Show 2017, and you'll find it. Get your tickets there. Easy enough. Great, great. Hey, Craig, I'm going to ask you, ask you one last question here, and then I realize you know you've got things you got to do. And uh, uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you see for the future of MSRA? Where, where is the organization going to go from here? Well, you know, um, I think that we'll probably be good for another decade, as far as uh, current membership. Um, we do bring you know a few people in here and there, but it's 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 a fairly small group. We have a lot of members. You know, we have 100 members or so that help us with funding and come to the show, and some of them even uh, get to ride on the boat every now and then and help us search. But, you know, we kind of keep it a little bit tight. Um, but at some point, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be an interesting future as I look way down the road, 15, 20, 30 years. You know, am I, do I want to do this when I'm 80? Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it's, uh, we've got a lot of things going on. We've got more shipwrecks to find. We've got, uh, you know, shows to do every year, and, you know, there are years like this where we don't have a brand-new discovery from last year. And, in fact, we still need to get divers down on the John V. Moran because uh, uh, we tried, and, uh, you know, somebody almost got hurt, so we backed off, and, uh, you know, we used an ROV and got a lot of good footage, but we still need to get divers down there, and when we do, that's going to be one heck of a show, 370-some-odd uh, feet deep, you know, and, Gosh, you know, it's it's going to be outstanding stuff, but uh, that's probably uh, that's probably for next year. Okay, great, great. Well, Craig, it's been great having you on here. Uh, this is the second time we've had Craig Rich on here. Uh, hopefully, we can talk him come back again in the future. Uh, you know, he's always got lots of good information on the wrecks and the and the, the diving going on the Great Lakes. Uh, Craig, thanks for being our guest this evening. You know, I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. All right, thank you. Okay. Um. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. I'd like to thank all our listeners who are in the chat room tonight. We have uh, S. Nelson. Uh, that's Kevin's alter ego is also in there, and a couple uh, numbered guests who are in there. Yeah, we've had a few a few numbered guests have kind of came and went there. You know, we've had we're up to guest number eleven at this point, so we've had a few kind of come and gone. But uh, you know, it's we're we're missing a few of our regular faces. Not quite sure why, but hopefully they'll bring uh, doctor's notes when they show up next week. Yeah, well, well, they'll have to have some sort of justification why you missed it. <laughs> okay, well, this first one is uh, 
an interesting article. We're going to go a little short tonight because we knew that we would go along with their interview. Uh, first one is, why is scuba diving better than snorkeling? Which has uh, always been my opinion. Uh, and the, the article goes, the advantage of scuba is perhaps self-evident but worth emphasizing. Except for the shallowest of water, scuba divers get so much closer to the sites worth seeing they can stay close enough for long enough to notice details and behaviors that would be missed on a snorkel. Why do so many limited experience with only snorkeling? For some, it may be uh, physical conditions that preclude diving, but for many, the problem is fear and lack of understanding the magnitude of the difference between snorkeling and scuba diving. And they go in to document some of the different things, and this is just somebody's observations. Uh, for me, I, uh, I, look, I don't look at it as uh, bad or less than. To me, it's the, the entry point for getting into scuba diving. Exactly. You got it. Yeah. So you, you yeah. go down to what, what it was for me is I had always wanted to scuba dive. I went down to a tropical location, uh, got a little bit of snorkeling, and, and you're limited. You know, even though scuba divers were relatively shallow in relation to the ocean, uh, but snorkelers even more so. Yeah, it was, you know, seven to zero feet is really where you went. You know, if you got brave, you might have gone down, you know, 10, 12 feet. And I'm, and I'm talking to you, you free divers out there who go crazy deep with um, breath hold. But for a snorkeler, uh, you, there's just a lot you can't see. And you can look down and see all the things that you can't get up close to that you'd like to. So that scuba diving to me gives you uh, a lot of, you can get farther down. You know, recreational, we're getting down to 125, 130 feet at recreational. Um, and if you want to go and venture tech, you know, you're now 200. Uh, and some people are going down to 300 in technical diving. Well, so. you know, I, I, I think that you really hit it with uh, snorkeling being the kind of entry into, uh, into scuba diving. But, you know, you can look at what even what, what Craig was just talking about, you know, the the price tag of scuba is really uh, kind of, you know, sets a lot of people back, you know, uh, really just to, to be a, a basic diver, you know, by the time you, you pay for your tank and your, your regulators and your wetsuit and your training, um, your fins, mask and all that, you know, you're going to have easily, you know, $4,000 involved. You know, that there are some ways you can cut a few corners, safely cut a few corners, you know, uh, you know, tanks last forever. No, I I've never bought a new tank in my life. Well, no, I did. I bought a new pony bottle, I guess. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things you can cut a few corners on safely and buy used to get into it. You know, so many people get into scuba diving and then have something bad happen, or you know, for some reason they don't like it. They lose their dive buddy, and then all that brand new scuba gear ends up just sitting in the closet until it's outdated and ends up going up upper sale or garage sale for, for, for pennies on the dollar. Uh, personally, I think that there's no shame in, you know, at least starting off with some used equipment just to see if you're going to, you're going to like it. And then if you like it, then yeah, then you go out and buy that, that brand new fancy Shearwater dive computer and then the dry suit and start investing in it. Hello? Did I lose you? No, I'm still here. Okay, I had some really odd interference here for a moment there, but no, uh, you know, and, and and maybe scuba diving is better than than snorkeling, but that's kind of a, a relative term. Uh, there's an don't 
don't brush off snorkeling. There's an awful lot you can see snorkeling. And if that's what your wallet lets you do, well, do it. It's better than not getting out there. I mean, uh, you know, take a look at the different sites out there. Look at, you know, MSRA's website. You know, look at the Preserves website. I'm, I'm talking about michiganshipwrecks.org, michiganpreserves.org, respectively. Uh, if you're a snorkeler, look up the wrecks which are less than 20 feet deep because you can see those, depending upon visibility, by snorkeling. Uh, you know, there's a really, really cool one there that's just outside of uh, Pentwater called the Novadoc, which you can snorkel in 15 feet of water with great visibility, and it's full of fish and all kinds of stuff to see on that wreck. You know, you've got stuff along the Muskegon, right next to the Muskegon Pier with the, uh, oh, what is it, the Henry Court, um, big iron-hauled iron steamer hit the pier in 1934, uh, you've got City of Green Bay down there by uh, just south of South Haven, which currently is buried. You cannot see the City of Green Bay right now. Some years you can, some years you can't. Uh, you know, you've got some up by the Manis, by just north of Manistee and Arcadia. You can snorkel, which are really cool. Lots of stuff to see down there. So, if if I if, if a snorkel is in your budget, get a snorkel. Uh, and then you know you can kind of combine that with free diving. Uh, I free dove the Jenny Lynn last summer, which is in about 20 feet of water, and that was really cool. You know, I mean, I and actually there were scuba divers. There was actually a number of brand new scuba divers for, you know, in, in a class on the wreck. It's going to be kind of funny because I'm down there free diving, and they're looking like, "Where's this guy's tank at?" You know, it was just, <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, but it's only you know a 20 foot deep wreck, and you know, I guess they. Snorkels in your budget, get a snorkel, uh, and and learn how to use it too. You know, it's uh, yeah. there, there are some techniques, all this stuff, but it's yeah, great. The other thing is, if if uh, you're not quite sure about it, is there is an intermediate step between snorkeling and scuba diving, and that's uh, talk to your local dive shop and ask them about it. Uh, try and dive. You know, a lot of times they'll do a discover scuba diving course where you can get to put the gear on and go underwater. I know in talking with some people, their apprehension is they feel like they would be claustrophobic. And uh, I've never felt that way underwater. Yeah, you know, I think that when people first get into diving, you know, we're all kind of wired a little bit different, and people are going to have a different um, emotional response to it there. Um, I'll tell you, my most response to it was spiritual. When I got there, I, I knew that I had to be there more. Um, you, know, you know, we call this Scuba Obsessed Podcast. You know, we're, we're hooked on it. Uh, you know, we are genuine, bona fide aquaholics here. Come play with us, and you might get hooked too. Yeah, you play long enough, and you'll get hooked. And the only real cure for it is, well, going back. So. Yeah. I just just got to dive more. That uh, That's a cure. Uh, next article we have up is a scuba instructors are searching underwater cultural heritage. This is from the Indiana Daily Student, a UI or an IU scuba instructor, Sam Haskell's main focus is promoting the creation of underwater parks and cultural heritage tourism. Haskell is a laboratory coordinator for underwater science and he teaches scuba diving certification course through the School of Public Health. The scuba diving course provides the insight into underwater culture and protecting the marine 
world. After graduating from UI, I say UI, IU, with a degree in underwater archaeology, anthropology, and history, in 2015, Haskell was offered a full-time position as a lecturer. He researches focuses on how shipwrecks and other submerged pieces of history can act as a catalyst for the biological growth of endangered species. Haskell says, I called it my thesis protecting the cultural past and the environmental present. IU Diver conducted most of the research in the Dominican Republic, but also in the Cayman Islands and in Florida Keys. Haskell said there's a three-masted schooner at the bottom of Lake Michigan. It's like imagining the perfect preserved pirate ship. The Ironsides, a mid-19th century freighter in Lake Michigan, is now completely encrusted with zebra mussels. The biological phenomenon can be seen in ways other than scuba diving, including snorkeling, skin diving, and even a glass-bottom boat tours. Now, I'm hoping he's not saying you can see the Ironsides in a, a snorkel, because that's a, a little deep. But I know what he's getting is that you're able to see some of the the history, like you talked about earlier, uh, with snorkeling. And yeah, I mean, on, if, go ahead. If you're gonna if you're gonna snorkel a wreck, you know, I mean, do a little bit of homework in really in the Great Lakes, particularly in the shallow water. You're in the shallow water, you know, for snorkeling, you're not going to have visibility, you know, rarely even 20 feet. Okay, uh, there are a lot of factors which affect it as far as you know, algae and wind and waves and what the bottom conditions are like. Um, basically, look it up. If, if you can see that boat on Google Earth, you can probably see it snorkeling. And there are an awful lot of them you can see on Google Earth. Uh, you know, the city of Green Bay I mentioned, there are a number of shipwrecks up by Sheboygan you can see on Google Earth. So if you can see them on Google Earth, you can probably snorkel. And then this next article... Crusader shipwreck discovered off the Israel coast. Archaeologists found the wreck of a ship belonging to the Crusaders dating back to their expulsion from the Acre in the 13th century CE off the coast of northern Israel. The Crusader strongholds destroyed in 1291 CE when the Mamluk uh, captured it. Diving the Christian armies, uh, driving the Christian armies from the region. Golden coins dating back to Euro were found alongside the wreck, making it easy to pinpoint when the shipwreck sank in the waters outside of Acre, according to an article that appeared in Harats. Uh, taking the Acre, a major victory uh, for the Mamluks. A Christian European forces had long used the site for landing point for countless knights and soldiers, where Jerusalem fell out of the Crusaders' hands. After being recaptured by Saladin in 1187, Agar became the new crusader capital in the Holy Land. Marine archaeologists from the Hoffa University, Professor Mark Artsy and David Edagulaya, spearheaded the investigation. The crusader shipwrecked the ship itself, suffered damage when modern harbor of the Acre was being dredged during the construction. Surviving records indicate some ballast covered wooden planks. Um, the ship's keep in a few sections of its hull. Carbon dating has revealed the wood used to construct the hull between uh, 1062 CE and 1250 CE, firmly within the window of the Crusaders' activity in the region. In addition to the association golden coins found near the wreckage, marine archaeologists also discovered imported ceramic bowls and jugs from southern Italy, Syria, Cyprus. Corroded pieces of iron, mostly nails, anchors were also some additional finds. 
nice. So even yeah. uh, in the salt water, they continue to find. Uh, well, you know, sometimes if the stuff gets buried in the mud and then gets un- unburied, perhaps some of the construction they had, talking about when they built that harbor, may have, you know, brought a few things to the surface. Um, you know, it's cool to have, you know, such a deep, rich heritage where you can still find these things. Uh, I still like our wrecks better, though. Well, how about this uh, being found in a wreck? A rare emerald was discovered in a 400-year-old shipwreck, and it's getting ready to be auctioned, and they're expecting to bring millions. Uh, 887-carat raw emerald is the largest known rough emerald from the Luzo mines, probably the largest such emerald in the United States, according to uh, Guernsey's. Believes the stone could be 400 carat polished gem, but the auction house says it would prefer it to be preserved, perhaps in a museum. So 400 uh, carat—that's a pretty good size rock there. Yeah, that's that's huge. Do we have anything Let's for scale this. to show what that looks like? No, they, they they need to put somebody's hand in there or something so you can see it. Right now, it just looks like a stone, uh, pretty green, well, actually, but. Are you saying 400 that the header is for 887 carats? Let's see. He said... Uh, yeah, 887 carats. Don't yield 400 carat polished gem. Oh, it's 887 oh, carats, yeah. Oh, 887 raw, 400 when it's cut. I got you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's a discrepancy. All right. Still, that's a lot of rock. Okay, that's a lot of rock. Now, it's not a diamond, you know. If it was a diamond, that would be like an insurmountable, I mean, the value, but. Yeah, they're they're estimating about uh, 4 to $5 million. Let's see, what's, uh, what else do we have here? all the static in the background I'm getting there. <laughs> I think it's rich. It must be whittling. Uh, whittling, whittling. I'm still here oh. listening. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, he's, he's probably been taunting us with we've gone on his second or third Guinness by now. I am doing chores. I'm in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. And here's the last article that we have slated for the night. The INS Virat is slated to become an underwater destination off the Konkan coast. If I can get this uh, to lock the scroll down more. The aircraft carrier the Indian Navy just decommissioned could end up as an underwater tourist attraction if the government plans go through. Otherwise, the Verit, which was long, the Navy's flagship could end up being sold for scrap. The proposal put up by the Tourism Development Corporation is to tow the ship in the position somewhere in the Konkan and sink it, turning it into an underwater destination. Overall, the world wreck diving is a major attraction for scuba divers. Besides, over the years, the ship would turn into a healthy artificial reef and habitat for marine life. It seems a good idea, but we'll first check to see if it's financially and technically feasible. There's a similar proposal to turn the INS 
Vikrant into museum, but it just lingered on and did not work out. So we want to cautiously take a call on this one. We'll vet the proposal, but the final call will be taken by the chief minister, said the tourism department official. But that would be a beautiful wreck to dive. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, that, that's got a lot of different lines to it there. I, mean, I can see all kinds of cool photo ops on that particular wreck. Um, I'm just wondering if they have, you know, the volume of diving over there to, to justify that. I know the uh, Ariscany here, which was sunk, uh, I think it was back in the 90s off of Florida, that's been a pretty popular dive, dive site. But then, you know, we have a, a massive dive community in Florida, too. Uh, I guess they just need to – go ahead. Yeah, I, I... – one thing I was going to say is that uh, the advantage that India and China have over us is that uh, diving is is considered to be cool, and it's also younger activity. You're seeing a lot of activity in the 25 to 40 year old group and and diving over there in Asia. So uh, this could be the thing to keep people active. You know, that'd be that'd be a beautiful wreck to go and dive on. Are you saying that diving here isn't considered cool? It is for us, but, you know, you ask my daughter if she thinks her dad knows anything cool, and uh, the answer is probably not going to be something I want to hear. Mm. Oh, I, I think diving is seen pretty cool around here amongst us and the non-divers, too, you know. I, I kind of resent that comment there, Darren. Yeah, I think, maybe maybe we yeah. need to do a, a survey or something to see how it is. I, I think part, I mean, if I was going to pick anything apart, I think is, uh, there's many years we were trying to sell it as being super safe, and uh-huh. I think that may have gone against it. And then you've we've got a generation of uh, you know video gaming and that sort of activity. Uh, slowly, I think that's going to change. You know, as as people who've been couch potatoes or uh, living on virtual reality for a while, I think at some time you actually want to experience the real thing. And I'm hopeful that you know that will come to pass and we'll see uh, a new generation getting out there and taking a look at it. And we've seen a little bit of that in the dive club. I'd have to say in the last couple of years, we've had more younger members than, you know, probably 10 or 15 years before that. Yeah, we have had quite a few and they seem to be sticking with it too. It seems that the uh, Thursday night dives have really been keeping them active. They're, They're getting the number of, you know, many log dives in, which gets them more comfortable on their equipment, better equipped to, to do the deeper dives and the thing that the wrecks were doing out there. Uh, speaking of wrecks, I'm uh, getting a lot of comments here from Eric Roloff in the chat room here. He really wants to see that Indian uh, aircraft carrier stuck out in Lake Michigan someplace. Uh, oh, that, that'd be, that'd be cool. If we had Mac on, he'd be telling you why that can't happen. Uh, no, but I, I'd be okay for it. Locks. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah, there might I, be an issue with the locks, but you know, it would be cool <laughs> out there, but I, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to see some uh, some wrecks. You know, each preserve is allowed, allowed to sink at least one. Uh, so it'd be nice to see uh, some fresh seeding at the bottom. And and that could be the catalyst to get people interested in the history, uh, some of the, the wooden wrecks themselves. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. Uh, like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air another season. If you're like hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, you want to turn into WRVO Radio, uh, head on over to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com, and scroll on down to the bottom, and we have links to where you can listen to other programs in the great outdoors. 
Yeah, and then Eric in the chat room was saying, diving is cool. My son's friend thinks I'm a mainly man, or a manly man because I dive. <laughs> well, good. Yeah, uh, and, the, and, they're, they're 18 year, and they're 18 year olds. So, you know, yeah. the, the next generation thinks we're all right, you know? I mean, uh, yeah. Hey, I'm a I'm a bachelor. I might just have to figure out how to use this for a pickup line, you know. So uh, I I think I think for bachelors, uh, actually diving can be uh, a good pickup. Plus, you you get to you got to just do some of those vacations, you know, all those uh, those women in the tropical ports. They, they, I think they all like scuba divers. Yeah, I don't know. Is any any way to make a you know a, a diver a diver look sexy? I don't know. I we'll want to figure that out. Certainly, certainly well, not me and my neoprene thinning. Slimming. <laughs> yeah, sure. If you say so. <laughs> That's like a built-in right. girdle. What are you talking about? Yeah. Oh. I'm, I must be using the wrong neoprene. <laughs> yeah. Be... Of course, you, the, you, the don't, dry... you don't want super stretch, uh, stretchy. Of course, the, the dry suit makes you look like you're swimming around in a garbage bag, you know? I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's real sexy. Yeah. So, I don't know. But, hey, we're, we're, we're not out there to look good. It's a good thing, too. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the shows. Uh, I think the last episode we had, we followed up on Our World Underwater. And since then, we've had two dive shows that have been going on. We had the Ford Seahorses out of Ann Arbor, and you had the Milwaukee Ghost Ships Festival. And I understand, Kevin, you went to both. Yeah, I mean, and they both had marvelous programs. Uh, you know, I got to see good stuff put on by uh, uh, you know, David Trotter, uh, Taras Osinko did, you know, which we had on the podcast uh, a couple months ago, went into more detail about the planes. Uh, you know, there was uh, Dalyka Hanikova was talking about some of her finds with with the Dottie and the uh, Alice Wilds. Uh, I'm hoping I'm missing anyone there. Uh, you know, uh, MSRA did a talk. I think you guys, MSRA was at uh, Ford Seahorses and. Uh, Gave us kind of a bit of a prelude of what's going to come up here at uh, the Holland Show. I'm not going to give away more than Craig already gave you there. If you guys want to see it, come down to the show. Um, yeah, but I always think of these these spring shows as just being a really good way to uh, get yourself back into diving. Uh, you get out there and you get to see like you know the, the new discoveries and what the uh, all the toys the cool kids are playing with, and it makes you want to get out there and do it yourself some more. So if there was a highlight from now that you've done the three uh, main shows for the season, what was the best thing you saw at any of these shows? Got to remember, I'm still here, Kevin. So, you know, be careful how you word this. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what. Uh, no. I'm going to take, take the safe road. And uh, to me, it was worth driving to Chicago to get the numbers for the Argo. So I'm, oh, I'm diving. Okay. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna dive the Argo here, probably in about a month. So nice. You no, know, we put them all on our website. So <laughs> I don't think you have to have have the Argo on on your website. So. No, no. This, all the ships that we found or researched or we found or whatever we've done here in West Michigan, all but the uh, Moran, I think, are on the website so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you guys are pretty good about that, and also you you have good numbers on your website. 
Uh, when I, you know, us divers, when we want to go to a wreck, we want to find, you know, numbers to get us there. And if the numbers are on MSRI's page, they're, they're usually pretty good numbers. So, yeah, we started out like everybody else with Loran numbers, and then we started with some conversions, and we all know how good those are. And yeah. uh, we've ex actually had people like uh, like you guys, uh, you know, give us some better numbers on some things that we found back 20 years ago that we just don't have any good numbers on recently. So that we appreciate that. Well, you know, uh, when we dive it, there's, there's very little that for us to dive it more than getting out there and finding that you've got bad numbers and, you know, we want to <laughs> get, get out there too, you know. Uh, there's some certain books in the market, which I won't get into right now, which um, most experienced divers know which books they are, which have good stories, good pictures, but the numbers get a little aggravating. So. Uh, but, yep. all right. But no, I, it, it was worth it to me just to go to Chicago just to get the numbers for the uh, Argo. We discussed the Argo on the podcast. I want to say probably about eight episodes back. That was the uh, barge found. I think it was Clue that found that barge over in Lake Erie. It was lost in the 1920s, full of uh, petro uh, petroleum, and it had uh, been down on the. It's only like 45 feet of water, but the uh, it is creating a sheen on the lake in, in that area. But the Coast Guard, you know, we we so often hear about when the Coast Guard does something wrong, we don't hear when the Coast Guard does something right. Coast Guard did a great job with, along with, uh, I believe, the EPA and a commercial diving outfit to clean that baby out. And they went out there and pumped all the junk out of it. And I think they got like 33,000 gallons of uh, water oil mix out of there. And the stuff was so toxic that one of the first divers they sent down there to locate the leaks in it actually had his dry suit valve, uh, the inflated valve, got melted and his uh, helmet got etched. And from that point on, they're doing all hazmats. But uh, one of the slides up there, had the numbers on it, and uh, I verified those are good numbers. And so I'm going to dive the Argo this spring. So excellent. Uh, I look forward to hearing about it. Yeah, but, but lots of lots of great shows. I mean, uh, you know, I I always enjoyed water presentations, and he has you know the great pictures of the uh, the Montezuma and the Venus, his recent finds. Uh, you know, I. Recommend anybody, if you can get the shows, get out there. You know, M MSRA always tells great stories about, about the wrecks. Uh, you know, you, you always walk out of their shows, you know, learning more. I, actually, number of their shows I've seen several times at the different pro at the, at the different uh, venues. And I learn something new each time. So, uh, on out, guys. And we also like to thank all our patreon supporters if you think this show is at least worth a dollar why not drop us some money through patreon go to our website www.scubuffsets.com click on the link over the patreon to give us a donation three dollars or more gets you copies of the advanced show notes before we record and we'd like to thank our specifically by name our dive nitrox level supporters we have vanessa Homiak, who's been a longtime supporter of the show and we have a someone who's newly or recently stepped up to the 
Dive Nitrox Level, and that's Andrew Hughes. So thank you very much for doing that, and we certainly appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to follow us, we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. We're on Twitter at scubaobsessed. And then once again, the website is www.scubaobsessed.com. And we've recently added uh, encryption certificates so that Google doesn't keep hammering us on the, the uh, listings. So uh, plus it makes it a little bit more secure. Maybe it's true a lot. Let's see, Kevin. Do you have anything you want to plug before we? Oh, do you do you have a shipwreck of the week? You know, um, we've ran kind of long tonight, and I'm going to say the shipwreck of the week for for, for next week. So okay, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. And uh, Mac was planning on making it at some point in the show, but he must not have uh, made it back. And we're getting pretty close now that we've gone through the uh, uh, spring forward fall back. Uh, daylight savings time adjustment, we should be having the Thirsty Thursday dives start back up. So watch the Mud Club newsletter for that to see when those will be going. Or you can stop into your local dive center or uh, Wolf's specifically if you want to know when those are going to be going. They'll have something uh, communicated there. Do you have anything you want to plug, Kevin? Yeah, a couple of things here. I want to encourage our listeners to uh, support your local libraries. Whenever you've got a uh, millage in your area that's going to be helping help libraries out, help them out. We need to keep those resources around. Uh, lots of good information there, but you're not going to find online. Uh, additionally, uh, support your local dive shops. We all like to get that, that bargain online, but that bargain online is not going to fill your scuba tanks. And finally, don't forget, Mysteries and Histories, MSRA's big show coming up. Uh, December, excuse me, March 25th at the Knickerbocker Theater in uh, in Holland. Craig, is that going to be at 6:30? I want to say, what time is that going to? Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock, but the doors open at six. All right, so come on down. And then, uh, while well, you're still here, Rich, what's uh, the last book that you wrote that somebody could pick up? I've got two that I've written. One is called For Those in Peril, Shipwrecks of Ottawa County, Michigan. The second one is Through Surf and Storm, which is the shipwrecks of Muskegon County, Michigan. And I'm currently working on the shipwrecks of Mason County, Michigan. Should be out this summer. And um, title to be named. Nice. We look forward to reading those. Yeah, I, I I have two of them. I've read, I've read the two. I have uh, Surf and Storm, and the Ottawa's. These are the ships of Ottawa County. Good good book. Really enjoy it. So, well, I try to be thorough, and uh, you know, just about every ship that ever sank, exploded, uh, rolled over, did anything is in there, whether it's an exciting story or not. I mean, I really was thorough, if anything. Well, I think, Kevin, we have gotten to that time of the show. Are you ready? Would it matter if I said no? No, it wouldn't. I just All right. Anyway. Let's get it on. Okay. An engineer dies and goes to hell. Dissatisfied with the level of comfort, he starts designing and building improvements. After a while, hell has air conditioning, flush toilets, and escalators. The engineer is a particularly popular guy. One day calls and asks Satan, so how's it going down there? Satan says, 
Hey, things are going really great. We've got air conditioning. We've got flush toilets. We've got escalators. There's no telling what this engineer is going to come up with next. God is horrified. What? You've got an engineer? That's a mistake. He should have never gone down there. You know all engineers go to heaven. Send him up here. Satan says, no way. I like having an engineer and staff. I'm keeping him. God says, send him back up here or I'll sue. Yeah, right, Satan laughs. Where are you going to get a lawyer? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Mm-hmm. All right. So on, cool. <laughs> so on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe and have a good time doing it. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.